0: what you'd have to consider is as difficult as the Christian life may be, and that is a life that can only be lived in the power of the Spirit and by the life and the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, we, uh, we, we come to recognize that that is so much easier compared to the way of transgressors. That is so hard. And so we kind of have this, we have this uh, paradox. The paradox says, man, the way of transgressors seems so easy initially, and yet we know that it always leads to difficulty and hardship. There is a a true difficulty that comes when you walk the path of sinners. But when you walk the path of the righteous, it certainly is difficult, it's challenging, and especially looks so as you begin it. But you come to recognize that it is a life that is found with His strength. Because even young men feign and lose heart, but those who wait upon the Lord renew their strength. And the renewing of the strength... Through time of chastening and difficulty is exactly what we're describing tonight. Tonight, we're not so much looking at the ease, we're not looking at the, the lightness of the Christian life. Instead, we're, we're looking at the difficulty, the hardship, and we're recognizing that there is a tremendous need for endurance. In Hebrews chapter 12, it is building upon the application that's already given to us in chapter 11 that says Christians must endure in their faith, that it continually looked to the Lord Jesus Christ, and the word endure is repeated over and over again. He tells us that that is endurance is to be like the endurance that you would have in a long race. And personally, I can just tell you that when it comes to running and when it comes to building Building endurance is a word that just doesn't build any kind of enthusiasm for me at all. It sounds like pain. It sounds like suffering. It sounds like hardship and difficulty. And yet endurance is something that I am constantly working on in the physical realm i was riding bike, and I ride my bike as fast as I can for a certain period of time, even when I think that I just can't make it. Why? Because I'm building endurance. And not only is it building and training my muscles, but it's also building my lung capacity, and it's building my, my heart and the strength of my heart, and so it builds endurance. Yesterday, I ran the race, and I was trying to keep up with uh, Austin, and Austin was way ahead of me. He's young, and he's got so much more strength and endurance. But as he was going past me, and I was trying to keep up with his dad, who was also ahead of me. I was just thinking so, all along I was thinking, man, if there was any way that I could just graciously bow out of this thing and just disappear without all of those 45 other Grace Bible Church people seeing me do that, I'd, I'd get out of this thing because I just don't want to endure. And yet, I endured, I continued on, and once you, finish the cross, once you cross the finish line, there's so much reward that comes from it. The word endurance doesn't build enthusiasm for us, it usually builds dread, and yet endurance Is something Patient endurance is something that is required in the Christian life. And as he expands upon the theme of endurance with which we run the race, we come to understand that our example in all of that is Christ who had endured the cross. And if we look continually to him, then he will give us the patience and the endurance that we need. So what we're finding tonight is really two things in verses 3 through 11. We're finding that we as Christians endure by considering Christ in verses 3 and 4. And we endure by remembering our Father in verses 5 through 11. And tonight I want to exhort you. I want to encourage you. I want you to cheer cheer you along the line. Here I am as someone who's watching you running the race. And as you're running the race, I'm cheering for you and I'm telling you, you can make it, continue on, endure. And I'm telling you, the first way that you endure is by considering Christ. Look at verse 3. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to blood Striving against sin, that really is the point of communion this morning when we are gathering together around the lord 's table it 's not that we 're trying to and this is really a key factor it 's not that we 're just trying to gather around and look as somber as we can possibly look. I've been to many different cultures where we have communion services. And I'm always looking around and kind of watching how do they, uh, how do they uh, worship and how do they remember. And so often you just kind of have a, a sorrowful face and, and you look glum. Well, communion is not an opportunity to be glum. Communion is an opportunity to consider Christ and to endure by considering Christ. Because we're once again remembering what Jesus Christ has done. Christ has endured the cross and so we should consider him who has endured so. Such hostility, so that we too can endure, and the danger that he 's describing for us is that we would become weary and we' become discouraged in our souls and so it 's again a reminder to us that says this is far greater than the physical endurance of a race, instead, this is the soul endurance, and soul endurance that he 's describing continues as we consider Christ. We consider Christ in, in such ways first for instance, it tells us we are to consider him who endured such hostility. The word "such hostility" is telling us that his hostility and the things, the suffering that he endured, is far worse than we could ever endure. Now, I know that, uh, well, I know that sometimes we just feel, well, sometimes we feel a little bit uh, morbid or we feel a little pathetic, a little bit pitiful. We we just start getting to the point where, look, just don't remind me about how much Jesus suffered. I mean, I don't want to hear about how much Jesus suffered when I'm suffering. And I would tell you that that's okay, I understand your psychology behind it, until I come and recognize that it's not me who's telling you this, it's the Scriptures. And the Scriptures are telling us that one of the ways that we build endurance is when we consider Him who considered such hostility. Such hostility would be the mocking that He had, that he had faced at the hand of sinners, and the beating that He had endured at the hand of sinners, and the arrest that He had endured even though He was guiltless, the, uh, the being traded to, to have a friend betray you and turn against you, that is such suffering. Scourging that he had endured, the trying, the imprisonment, uh, being falsely accused. All of this suffering, such hostility unto even death to wear unto blood and the shedding of his blood and death. When you consider Christ, how he endured, we understand that he endured such hostility. And then consider the next words. Not only such hostility, but such hostility from sinners. From sinners would have included all of those Roman soldiers that had beaten him. It certainly would have included the Gentile kings that had uh, prosecuted him and tried him, but it would also include all of those sinners, such as the scribes and the Pharisees, or all of those people that were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Understand that when he was suffering at the hand of sinners, that's entirely different than for us. Because when we're suffering, we're not so much suffering at the hand of sinners, we are always suffering in the hands of a faithful creator who loves us and has given himself to us. And that is what's going to happen when we remember that it is our Father who loves us. And as a Father of our spirits, as our gracious Lord and Father, the judge who cares for us and our gracious creator, he is the one who is with us. And when we are suffering and going through hardship and difficulty that is used for the purpose of discipline and training and instruction for us, then understand that whatever suffering that we are enduring, we are enduring all of those things, not so much at the hand of those sinners who are mocking us, beating us, sinning against us, but instead we are enduring in the hands of God himself who wants what is best for us. When you think of enduring in that aspect, you'd have to consider Joseph. Joseph is an an example. He's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, one who had been rejected by his own brethren, who had actually turned through that rejection to become the savior of them. And if you consider the suffering and difficulty that he had endured, you would say, yeah, it was at, at the hand of his sinners, at the hand of his sinful brothers, because they meant harm for him. They meant to do him evil. And yet when they were trying to do him harm by throwing him into a pit, by selling him into slavery, later on there were others who meant harm by falsely accusing him and getting him thrown into jail and eventually forgetting him in jail. He was sent against by an awful lot of other people, but he understood that he was never in the hands of sinners. To the end of his life, he was able to come to his own brothers who had betrayed him, his own sinners, uh, sinful people who had committed all of these atrocities against him. And he was able to say, of course, I'm able to forgive you. Because what you meant for evil, God meant for good. He understood that he was ultimately not in the hand of those sinners. He was in the hands of God himself. And being in the hands of God himself, he was able to trust his creator and he's able to trust his father and understand that God meant this for good. Therefore, I can trust him even in the middle of all of my difficulty and hardship and suffering. These words tell us that we are to consider such hostility that Jesus endured, that he endured that from sinners and that he endured it against himself. Notice that he endured against against himself such scourging. And when we consider the Lord Jesus Christ and what he had endured, we are to do that lest we become weary and discouraged in your souls. There are ever those moments when you feel just a little bit weary, just a little bit discouraged in your soul? When you've been in the hospital bed for over 30 days, Denny, do you become a little bit weary, a little discouraged in your soul? When you know that you have some sort of disease that is not going to get any better, it's going to continue to deteriorate from now until you're taken home. Is it easy to become weary and discouraged in your soul and to recognize that, man, this is suffering and it's hardship, difficult those are the young people that are here, the teenagers that are here tonight, you don't understand the kind of weariness and the kind of discouragement that can easily beset your soul in times like this. But there are lots of people around who have gone through times of difficulty and hardship and they're the ones who would tell you that the Christian life is not a sprint, instead it's it's an enduring and the enduring, the staying under of all of this weight, the enduring is only possible when we really look to Christ. And we, we really look and understand that if Christ has endured so much for our benefit, then we can endure. We can look unto Jesus and we can continue to run in this race. We can lay aside the weights so we can continue. But friends, this is not just a race. Because this is not just a competition. This is not just a game. This is not some sort of amusement. Instead, he tells us in verse 4, that you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. The resisting there and the striving is talking about military terms. He's talking about setting up your line of defense. And when all of the onslaught of the enemy is coming against you, you're resisting them. You're standing firm. You're not caving in. You're making sure that you hold this line. And you're holding that line as you battle against sin. And that creates suffering. But he's also talking about how that we are striving against it. And the striving against is the opposition by which we know not only is there an enemy who comes against us, the world and Uh, The devil himself. But we're also battling against sin and the sin nature that is within us. And so Romans 7 describes that when he says, I have this battle. This battle that is going on consistently is a recognition that I don't do the things I want to do. And the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. And so I have this struggle and battle that is within me. And so I become so weary, I so become so discouraged about it, that when I'm striving against this sin and suffering in all of these different ways, the apostle says, wretched man that I am, who is going to deliver me from this body of death? Who's going to strengthen me? And yet we find that the great answer and the great hope is, thank God that through the Lord Jesus Christ, the, uh, the, the, the life that is within Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. And so once again is this idea of when we look to Jesus, when we recognize that He is the source of our victory, then that is how we are able to endure. Let me challenge you to endure by considering Christ and look continually unto Him. That is living this life in the, in the power of the gospel. That means that we have communion regularly. And communion is one of those disciplines. It's one of those tools that we have to consider Christ. And as we consider Christ, it's not just somehow to, to build up some sort of sad feelings or put on a, a, a scowl on your face or to look sad and morbid. Instead, it's an opportunity for us to consider and look to Him for the purpose of finding strength and endurance so that we can persist and continue on in the struggles that we endure. The struggles that we endure are not something that is new. It's not something that is unusual. Instead, the suffering that is the Christian life is now told to be something that must be considered in light, not only of who Christ is considering Him, but also we endure by remembering the Father. And that begins in verse 5. You have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. Once again, we have the word endurance. And the word endurance there is coming in the matter of God's, God's chastening of us. And as he endures, or as we are enduring through times of chastening, and let me define chastening this way. Chastening is suffering. And the chastening that we're talking about is the chastening of suffering that isn't always, it's not always punitive, it's not always punishment for us. And it's not always corrective. Because God's chastening and disciplining of us is many times instructive or protective. In other words, God is allowing difficulties in our life, not only when there's a sin that we need to repent from, but sometimes He allows suffering because suffering is how we just grow and how we bear more peaceable fruit of righteousness, and how we become more holy. We go through times of trial and difficulty and hardship and suffering, and and it's through the suffering and the hardship that God works His purpose and His will within us. And so if we consider ourselves to be in the hands of of a loving Father whose goal for us is not ease and comfort, His purpose for us is instead holiness and righteousness and progress in this Christian life. And if we can learn to trust Him, then perhaps in the middle of our suffering, we can rejoice like Habakkuk had learned to rejoice. Do you remember that we had taken a study of Habakkuk, someone who had talked about chastening and difficulty and hardship and wondered about all suffering. And he was able to come to this conclusion. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and though fields yield no food, Though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet and he will make me walk on my high hills. When I read the passage of scripture like this and see chasing and difficulty, I am just reminded that the norm of the Christian life is not a norm of abundance. God does not normally bless his children with a a huge amount of abundance. But even when they have abundance, he provides suffering. And that suffering will be to try them and test them and give them difficulty, such as Job. Now, Job endured chastening, but the chastening that he endured was not corrective because God's own assessment of Job was to say that here's a man who's upright and just and fears God and turns away from evil. Here's not a man who had to be corrected. Instead, he's someone who needed to be instructed and tested and tried and proven. And so ultimately, he didn't see all of the cosmic battle that was going on and the suffering that he would endure. All he knew is all all of his children are killed. All of his wealth is lost. All of his health is taken from him. And when all of these things were taken by and away from him, he would have to learn to say with Habakkuk, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vine, Though the labor of the olive may fail and the field yields no food, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will joy in the God of my salvation. My friends, when it comes to difficulty and the enduring of a difficult life of suffering in this Christian life, we must not forget the exhortation which speaks to you as the sons, and then he quotes scripture. Within this and when we're when we're remembering the Father, we're remembering several things. We're remembering his word, we're, we're remembering His care, and we're remembering His purpose. Write those things down. That'll be helpful. Write them down as a little bit of notes and come back and remember them again later on. Remember His Word. Verses 5 and 6. Do not forget the exhortation which speaks to you as a sons, my son. Do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges every son whom He receives. Can I remind you what this is? This is from Proverbs 3, verse 11 and 12. Which means that it had been written at least 900 years before the Hebrew book was ever written. The words of Solomon were written 900 to 1,000 years before. And now, the high view of Scripture in Scripture is where they're able to come and they're able to say, Now the Scripture is speaking to you. God Himself, by His Holy Spirit, is speaking these words to you. Not just words of Solomon. 900 years ago, from the time of Hebrews, or 2,900 years ago, or almost 3,000 years ago, according to our calculations. But the high view of Scripture is when we remember God and His Word, His Word is speaking to you. And He's speaking to you as as to children. You can hear His voice, and God Himself is speaking so that His Word is speaking to you. That is the high view that Scripture has of itself. And has such a high view of scripture, uh, has scripture of itself that Jesus himself would have such a high view that he would quote it. And he'd remember it. And the, the psalmist himself would remind us that a way, the way that a man keeps his way clean and pure is by taking heed according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And the reason that is, is because the word speaks to me. And if the word speaks to me, then I can remember and take consolation and encouragement from this text of Scripture. Now, not only do we have a high view of this scripture, but then in the application of it, here's what we find. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord or be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. To despise it is meaning that you are not taking an indifferent view of it. You're becoming unresponsive to it. In other words, you're going through suffering and difficulty, but in that suffering and difficulty, you have forgotten that God is at work You take a light view of it. And if you're taking a light view of it and despising it, ultimately you're saying, ah, this is just bad karma. The good comes, the bad comes. You just got to take the bad with the good and the good with the bad. And so, you know what? That's just the way that life is. Life goes on. Yeah, you have good years and you have bad years and all is okay. But you're not really considering the spiritual, eternal actions of God within it. So you go through health problems, or you go through mechanical problems, or you go through business problems, or relational problems, or just go on and on. And to despise that is to somehow look at your suffering and see it apart from whom God is. You've forgotten Him. And if you've forgotten God in those things, then you're despising it. You're not taking it to heart. You're rejecting what God is trying to do within your life. And we must be sure that we understand that in all of life, God is active. And he is instructing, he is correcting, he is chastening. He is at work and he's shaping your life. And you must see him active in all of what is taking place. You must not become somehow, c'est la vie, so it goes, you know, the good and the bad. You must not become taking the "akuna matata view of life that this world takes. Instead, you must recognize that God is active and he's involved and I must not despise or take lightly it. Then he also says you must not uh, be overwhelmed by it. You're not to be discouraged. To be overwhelmed basically is describing what I heard a friend say recently. I met with a family in our church that, I mean, they are going through suffering like I have never, ever, ever seen. And I know there's a lot of suffering and difficulty, but man, these, these people, I can't even just go into, I can't go into all of it. Except that when I finally had a chance to sit down with a man, and uh, I said, man, you know what? You guys have just gone through so much loss of a home and difficulties with a child and pressures, constant pressures upon them. And whew, goodness. Someday, someday you'll hear the story and you'll be amazed when you hear all the suffering. And the man responds with a word. And I said to him, you know, I can understand how it's difficult for you to come to church. I mean, this really has to affect your relationship with God. He said, he said without even blinking his eye, he said, I think God hates me. I don't even want to come here because I come here and it's a reminder to me constantly, God hates me. So here's someone who's become discouraged, they've become overwhelmed. And the second warning that we have is that we're not to become so overwhelmed that somehow all of these things become some sort of sign to us that God hates us and he's dogpiling us. Have you ever had a? Have you ever been at a place when you felt like maybe God was dogpiling you? I don't even remember all the circumstances that were happening, but uh, back when my mom first got cancer, years and years ago. Uh, We were going through some difficulty. There had been hardship at the church and disappointment in different scenarios and situations. And then my mom had gotten sick, and the sickness kept getting worse and worse and worse. I kept thinking that, oh, I was going to be better. And every time, the news was bad uh, that we were getting. And I got to a certain point where I was in my mind saying, God, why, why are you dogpiling us? Why is it that you're jumping upon us and you're hurting us and you're harming us? Well, that is the difficulty and that's the weariness and discouragement that we need to avoid by remembering God and remembering that God is not dogpiling us and He's not vindictive and He's not harsh against us. Instead, God loves us. And this passage says that we need to remember that God's chastening, including all the suffering that we're enduring. And ultimately, that suffering might not just be because of your own sin. It might be because God is instructing and training and teaching you, weaning you from the things of this world. And when God is involved in your life, then you understand that the suffering you're enduring as his child is a sign of his love. And it's affirmation that you're his child. When it comes to disciplining, I've always kind of wondered, man... You know, I I know I had had to endure discipline when I was a child myself. And I got to a certain point where I kind of even, you know, I even kind of respected it a little bit. I mean, those kind of things that were there, I I recognized the value of it for sure. But I kind of wondered when I had my own children, I wondered, man, how am I going to discipline them? And I know you've heard me tell this story again, but but, but over and over, but I got to tell it again. Because when I first brought Ashley home, and uh, she's 20 years old now, it's unbelievable. But when, when, when Ashley was born, and I hold this little thing in my, uh, in my hands, uh, she stole my heart so quickly and so profoundly. I mean, it was, man, she just she knocked me flat. And, and when she knocked me so flat, I started wondering, I started thinking, hmm, how am I ever going to discipline this precious little thing? How will, I ever, how will I ever train her? I mean, how, how could I spank her? I, I don't. When she cries, it breaks my heart. Well, it wasn't long before I figured out that because I loved her, I, I disciplined her. And soon she was growing up and she developed her own little self-will. And soon she was disobedient and she's doing things that would harm her. And I started recognizing that if, if I really love her, then I can't let her touch the, the stove that's hot. And if I really love her, I can't let her put her fingers into an electric socket. And if I really love her, I can't let her go waddle off into the street where she's going to get run over. I started figuring out that, you know what, it actually was pretty easy to discipline Ashley because I loved her so much. It wasn't long after that that I started figuring out that, you know, if you really love someone, you discipline them. And... And there are times in the church where I've also asked the same question. I'm like, hmm, if you really love someone, it's not difficult to, to discipline them. It's not difficult to get involved and call them to repentance. As a matter of fact, the only time, as, here's what I would say, when there is a case for church discipline and someone that I know in the church that's involved in sin, and if and somehow in somehow my mind I'm thinking, ah, let them just go off and do their thing, you know what, that is the ultimate sign of no love for that person. The first concern that I would have is I'm saying, you know what, if I am not engaged or concerned enough about that person that I would just say, ah, go off, go on sin, ruin your life, do your own thing. Then I recognize that if I don't love them, it would be very difficult to discipline them. But if I love them and if I truly care for them, that I chase them down, I find them, and I discipline them. Just like the shepherd would do for his own little sheep that had been lost. He goes away, he finds it, disciplines it, brings it home. The whole purpose is a demonstration of His love and compassion and care for it. So what we're finding is in this text of Scripture, we are to endure. And if we're to endure, it's because we are considering that, that chastening and suffering is a sign of God's love. And is a sign of our sonship and and a relationship with Him. We are to remember not only His Word, but then He applies His Word in verses 7 through 9, and He describes for us His care. If you would remember His care, He tells us, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there of whom a father does not chasten? That's what I just described. But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then are you illegitimate and not sons? That is why in verse 8, that the chastening of the Lord and His engagement in my life in this way has been the surest sign of my salvation. Now, I know that I have other signs of my salvation. I have signs of growth and sanctification, a hunger for the Word of God and a love for other people and many different fruits that God produces in my life as signs that I'm a child of God. But one of those strong signs that I'm His child is this sign of chastening, suffering for the purpose of informing, instructing, correcting. God doesn't let me get off and, and go to sin. He always corrects me and deals with me about those things. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11 describes what that kind of chastening is like when it says um, that we are to examine ourselves when we come to the communion table. And the whole reason that we're to examine ourselves is because if we don't examine ourselves, then that's why some are weak and some are sick among you. And that's why some sleep, he says, even to death. In all those cases, he's describing the chastening of the Lord, by which the chastening would be stronger and stronger. And the Lord himself, as the Father, would chasten to where there's weakness, and then there's illness, and that illness sometimes would produce the sin unto death, and all of that in this particular case, and that's not to say all sickness and weakness is a sign of corrective discipline, but it is to say that in those times we are not to be discouraged, and we're not to ignore it, instead we're to endure it as and as we endure it, we're to be drawn and recognize that this is a sign of God's love, so that we're not condemned with the world. That is the passage in 1 Corinthians. You are being judged in that way so that you're not condemned with the world. And so we are to examine ourselves when those things happen. It's a sign of this relationship. It becomes evidence of our sonship. Here's how it continues on. If you don't experience that, ch- that chastisement, then are you illegitimate and not sons? I go to that with a number of people when I'm dealing with them as far as their, uh, their questions regarding their, their, the state of their soul. And when I talk about the state of their soul, I said, look, are you enduring Are you persisting? Are you becoming weary? Or are you one who is discouraged? Or are you one who is despising the chastening of the Lord? Instead, you as a child are to respond to it. And you're to respond to it not with discouragement and not with despising, but you're to respond to it with submission and to respond to it with respect. That's what he says in verse 9. We had human fathers who corrected us. We paid them respect. Should we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? Contrasts are enormous. When you talk about human fathers, it says that they corrected us, and it's true; they do correct us. They correct us both in the positive sense and in the negative sense. They uh, they desire our progress. They demonstrate their love for us. And Proverbs thirteen verse twenty four tells us that if a, if a father does not discipline his children, it's because he hates them, and he's allowing them to become a total wreck. Proverbs 22, 13 describes the same, and so again, if I love my children, I'm going to be disciplining, instructing, I'm going to be correcting them. So the human fathers demonstrate their love by discipline, they desire for progress and maturity in their young people, but it's often imperfect. And instead of pointing to myself, I'm just going to point to my dad as far as being imperfect in discipline. I could easily give illustrations of myself, but instead I'd rather point to him and point to him and say, look, I know that the man always wanted what was best for me and he trained me, but he wasn't perfect. And just like he wasn't perfect and my mom wasn't perfect, and just like you aren't perfect and I'm not perfect, we all understand that sometimes we make mistakes, sometimes we're too harsh, sometimes we're inconsistent, sometimes we're hypocritical, and uh, none of that for my children is uh, you know, is admitting any kind of failure. It's just recognition that we're, that we're, that we're weak, we're sinful. And we mess up, and so I will go ahead and admit it. I'll admit it to you now. You know that I'm not perfect, and you know that there have been things that I've done that are sometimes too harsh in my discipline, and sometimes it is too light, sometimes it's inconsistent. But even as a father, as an evidence that I love you and I want your progress and growth. However, when it comes to our Heavenly Father, it's so much greater because... He is the one who benefits, he does it for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. He is the one who does it always good, he never makes any mistakes, and he's always doing it so that we can progress in holiness and sanctification. And that is why we're remembering not only his word and his care, but we're remembering his purpose. When we're remembering his purpose, his purpose within all of this is holiness. And no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, it's painful. It's painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When it talks about bringing the peaceable fruit of righteousness, he's now talking about those who are, are taught to endure. And so God's purpose in all of this difficulty and suffering is your progress toward holiness. Now, what I'm telling you is your suffering and difficulty may not be corrective. And if it's not corrective, then maybe it's instructive. Maybe it's preventative. But what you can know is that it is always for the purpose of holiness. Always, whatever it is that we're enduring and going through in the hardships of life, maybe it's because someone is persecuting you and they're being hostile against you. But did you know that God's purpose in all of that is your holiness? Maybe it's someone's neglect and, uh, and yet God's purpose in that is holiness. Maybe it's your own sin. Maybe it's your own mistake. Maybe it's some sort of stupidity you did. But God's purpose in it is holiness. And maybe you don't even need, know the cosmic picture of it like Job, but it is always for Holiness. And God's purpose is for you to be made righteous, and that is why we can continually rest and trust in Him, or as it says in the book of Romans, all things work together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. His purpose, His good within us is not our luxury and ease. His good and purpose for us is holiness and peaceable fruits of righteousness, and we've got to continually trust in Him that that is what He's working within us. I could never go and figure out all of the difficulty or all the reasons of why Denny Vumard would have to go through months of suffering and difficulty in the hospital. And I certainly wouldn't have given you this message three months ago. But now looking back at it, I'd say that Denny, the one thing that we know and are absolutely sure of is that God's purpose in all of that is holiness and the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And on this side of it, I'm sure that you can see some of that peaceable fruit of righteousness and holiness of what God is producing. I would never usually be able to come to come to Judy lightly and say, Judy, you know, I mean, here's what God is. and, and, And in your time of suffering and difficulty, point you to this. Except all I would remind you of is that your suffering and difficulty and all of that time of hardship that you have had and all of its different effects. I do know for a fact this, that God is working his righteousness and holiness and his perfect will within you. And it may not all turn out as far as ease and it's not going to, obviously, you've gone through so much difficulty and hardship. But I do know that on this side of it, you can see how much God has been at work to draw you to himself and to sanctify you and to demonstrate his grace is sufficient for you. His strength is made perfect in weakness in your time of suffering. And I could go on and on. I can talk to our young people about the same things. If you're going through a time of difficulty and hardship, and you're like, man, everything I do, seems like it backfires on me. Listen, it's because God loves you. And maybe He's correcting you. Maybe He's instructing you. But whatever it may be, His purpose for you is holiness and righteousness. And that is why you are trained for this endurance. Endurance for me is a bad word. I hate it until I understand how necessary it is. And that's why I, as a coach... Not as a father. Well, I am a father who is the coach. But as a coach who is the father, I train my basketball team in endurance. And it it, it requires suffering. When they're running lines back and forth, uh, when they're doing sit-ups, when they're doing push-ups, when they're doing all sorts of things, they look at me with their red face and the sweat pouring down them. And and I know. I can read their mind. They're like, I hate this coach. (laughs) I, I... I hate this man. He is out to get us. He is he's torturing us. What is wrong with you? Why would, he, why would you be so mean, coach? Why don't you just throw a basketball out there and let us play around and have fun? It's all about fun and games. No. I am training them. I'm instructing them. I'm preparing them. And the only way that they will get endurance is through suffering. And the reason that they suffer is because we're getting ready to play a basketball game. And in that basketball game, if they're not properly conditioned and if they're not prepared to endure, when you come to the fourth quarter, things are going to go bad. A couple years ago, I had a seventh grade team who they pretty much hated me by uh, by the end of the training camp that was there. Although they respected me and they knew that I was doing it for their benefit. And one of the kids who hated me the most, the laziest bum on the whole team, he really hated me. But he said out of this... well, I haven't used his name, so you don't know who the lazy bum is. But the laziest bum on the whole team, hated, I mean, he hated all that workout. In the final game of the season, when I had to play the starters the whole game, we got to the fourth quarter, we start pulling away, we win the game, and the coach, he sits down and he looks me in the eyes and he says, Coach, thanks for running us all those times in practice. The reason you ran us all those times in practice is to give us endurance, and that endurance is getting us through what is going right now. God himself is preparing you for endurance. It means that you have to run some lines and you have to go through some discipline. You have to go through some suffering. You have to go through some difficulty, but it is all purposeful. It is all for good. And all of that that is for good is ultimately for his purpose of holiness and righteousness within us. And it brings forth those peaceable fruits. Man, I love this passage of scripture. I don't love it from the standpoint that I like the thought of suffering. I don't like it because I just like pain because man, chastening, suffering is painful especially in the present time. It's not joyous, it's grievous. But in the end, it brings forth a peaceable fruit of righteousness. And that is what allows me to keep running this race with endurance. And not only running this race, but it also allows me to keep striving against sin and in this battle, standing firm. And when I stand firm, I'm reminded of this great truth, that Jesus is the friend of sinners. And if Jesus is the one who endured, I consider him. And when I remember my heavenly father whose purpose for me is good, I look to him. And that's why I think that we should close tonight by singing the third verse of our great Savior. We had sung it earlier tonight. Jesus, what a help and sorrow while the billows o'er me roll. Even when my heart is breaking, he, my comfort, helps my soul. Hallelujah, what a Savior is he. Let's bow together and then we'll sing that one verse. Lord, how we thank you that you do love us and that you're engaged in our life. I have uh, brothers and sisters here who are enduring all sorts of different heartache and difficulty and I don't understand all of their scenarios. I don't know how to bear all of their burdens. I do know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your purpose for us is that we would be conformed to the image of your son, that we would be holy and righteous and clean. You want the maturity of your people. And because you want the maturity of your people and you're so actively engaged in that, we are told and promised that he who began a good work in you will perform it till the day of Christ. Lord, would you continue to perform your work in your people until that day of Christ? I pray for brothers and sisters here that are suffering and going through hardship and perhaps becoming weak, perhaps becoming disheartened, perhaps becoming overwhelmed. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen them to endure as they look to Christ and as they remember your great love for us. I pray, Lord, that you would uphold them. I pray for some that are not here because they're in sin and they're in rebellion. They're going their own way. And as they're going their own way and as they're in sin, oh, Lord, I pray that you would chasten them and draw them back to yourself. I pray that you would grant them repentance to acknowledge the truth. I pray that you bring circumstances into their life in which they'll come to the end of themselves and that they would look only up to you. And in faith, they'd cry out and you would strengthen and keep them. Some of us have young, we have our own children, grown children or grandchildren who are not walking with you. And all of us have friends that we can think of. And our desire, Lord, is that you would chasten them so that you would bring forth a peaceable fruit of righteousness in their life. Please produce holiness and righteousness within us, within the community around us. And may we continually look to Jesus and find the strength to endure. In Jesus' name, amen.